sarcasm and asked my father if he was joking. I was six then. I hear his words as clearly as if he'd spoken them yesterday, but I don't remember reacting to them. My mother tells me that I was the least unhappy of the three of us, or at least I was wise enough to know I didn't stand a chance competing against my brother or sister when it came to complaining about the move. They were way ahead in the noise department. In those days, Islamabad was an empty city, and the proof of this was the wide streets and large parks that contained neither cars nor people. But if you'd required a photograph for evidence, you would have hiked to Viewpoint in the Margala Hills. There, from a flat rock that looked out on the sparse city, Islamabad's two Seventh Avenues resembled airport runways without lights. Each time we hiked the trail during our first summer, I prayed the endless tarmac would reach up and take me away from the godforsaken place to which my father had brought us. I'd once overheard my mother use this precise adjective for Islamabad in a late-night argument with my father. Amir, Leila, and I were among the few Pakistanis to attend the American School of Islamabad. My father had tried to get us enrolled in Pakistani schools, but when principals learned we didn't speak Urdu, our mother tongue, we were denied admission. I was glad. We'd gone to American schools in Europe and therefore knew what to expect, but the unfamiliar prospect of going to a Pakistani school as a half-and-half half made me nervous. Luckily for us, the government of Pakistan had just permitted the American school to build a large campus 45 minutes outside the city. In return, the institution was required to admit a handful of Pakistanis on full scholarships, because, of course, no Pakistani, except maybe the prime minister, could afford to pay the thousands of dollars of tuition. That's how we ended up in the American school, spending 45 minutes every morning riding a yellow school bus to the red brick buildings on the outskirts of Islamabad. All I've said above is true. But as a rule, truth is as wide and all-encompassing as you let it be, and there is always more of it. 1. July 1977 my story begins on the heels of July 4, 1977, when I was 11. Without the events of that early Tuesday morning, I wouldn't have a story to tell. More than that, a prime minister would still be alive, and so too would his youngest fan, a little boy I hardly knew. But my summer began, as all Islamabad summers once did, with the promise it would never end and without any of us knowing what was in store. My mother was in Cairo visiting Amir, who'd convinced my parents that he would die if they didn't allow him to attend Al-Azhar and study Islam. She'd been gone only a week when my father decided we should spend the summer in Lahore with our grandfather. It was already so hot in Islamabad that my rubber sandals left marks on the pavement. Lahore would be worse. Layla wanted to stay home before she left for college in America, because in Islamabad, she would be able to sneak out to see her new boyfriend while our father was away. 
But my father resolved that leaving two young girls alone at home all day wasn't a good idea. And try as we might, we weren't able to persuade him otherwise. He had our servant, Sadik, put matching red suitcases on each of our beds while he stood there with his hands deep in the pockets of his trousers and calmly pointed out, Either you girls do it, or I will ask Sadik to do it, and I think you'll want to have a say in what you pack. Sadik's English was worse than our Urdu, but his eyes grew larger and larger, understanding enough to silently plead with us for the scene to end. It was in moments like this that Sadik seemed more like us than a grown man with a wife, a baby, a toddler, and a young son. But it was the realization that we would have to stand watch while Sadik counted our underwear that sent him.